So tonight, I want us to look at another aspect of what prayer is. And um, you know, I'm going to turn that off because... Uh, oh. oh, you can turn it off. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I know I would be distracted, so uh, I'll just help us all out in that way. So we've been looking at different aspects of what prayer is. We looked at the fact that prayer is calling out to God. Look at the fact that prayer is interceding for other people. Does anybody remember uh, what we looked about, looked at about prayer last week? Either the story or the subject or some details about it. Okay, prayer is asking God for wisdom. Good. And uh, maybe some of the kids. Do any of you remember who was asking God for wisdom? Yes, Ben. Um, he did in the story last week, though, that we looked at. This guy went on a long journey to do something. Yes, Sam. Okay, good, good. And what did Abraham tell him to go do? Okay. Okay, good, good. And... I guess the important question that we should ask is, did God answer that prayer? Yes. Good. Tonight I want us to look at a story just a few chapters over, probably just a couple pages over in your Bible, and think about the fact that when we face trouble, that we ought to turn to God. And what might a prayer of help in times of trouble look like? I think the passage that we're going to look at tonight will help to answer that question for us. And so in your prayer bulletin, you have the words of the prayer itself, but let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 32, just to have a little bit of context. So I'll summarize. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me give you this one then. There you go. All right. Might need to print a few more. That'd be good. All right. Um, so verses 9 to 12 are there in the bulletin, but we'll start in chapter 32. So 31, uh, Jacob starts to leave Laban's house where he's been for 20 years, uh, working to earn the right to marry uh, his, uh, his two wives, uh, Rachel and Leah and then also working an additional six years and gaining flocks and herds and various other riches. He leaves Laban, and at first there's going to be a conflict, but God watches out for Jacob in that. And then Jacob comes to face his, his biggest obstacle, coming back to the land of Canaan. It says, Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. And uh, I think most of your Bibles probably have a note that that just means two camps. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, I have, uh, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We come to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Why would this concern Jacob? Anybody? Yeah, Mike. 
Okay. Yeah. What did uh, what did Jacob do? Yeah, he he tricked his brother into trading his his right to lead the family spiritually and in terms of inheritance for for uh, vegetable soup. I was like lentil soup. Couldn't you have done better than that? But yeah. So if you were Esau, you probably wouldn't have been real happy with him. And even if 20 years had elapsed, you were, he was probably still angry to some extent. And so uh, that leads us to verse six, where it says, or verse seven, where it says, "Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape." And then we have the prayer. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. And so what might a prayer to God for help in a time of trouble look like? I think according to verse 9, I think we could see this, that we need to pray because God is your God. Why do I say that? If you look at the beginning of verse 9, Jacob clearly starts out saying God was the God of his grandfather and of his father, right? Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. And uh, he speaks to them father in terms of ancestor more so than actual father. They weren't both his father, obviously. Uh, They followed God. And this is a common way that we see God referred to, particularly in these early chapters of Genesis. He's the God of Abraham, and then later he's the God of Abraham and Isaac. And I think it's important for us to recognize that it is possible for us to be in families that have known God. Not all of us have had that experience. Some of us didn't grow up in Christian homes. But if you did grow up in a Christian home, it's easy for someone to assume, my parents are Christians, I participate in church, all those sorts of things, so I'm just sort of like automatically part of the whole church thing connected with God. And so it's important that Jacob recognize that his family was part of a relationship with God, but he needed a relationship with God. Now, obviously, there's differences between God and Israel and God and us. We are not God's people just because we grow up in a Christian home, just because those who went before us are Christians. We're Christians when we trust Christ for ourselves and have that relationship ourselves with God. And that leads us to the part that we need to have a relationship with God. How does Jacob describe that? He said, O Lord, who said to me. Now notice that. How did that come about? Was it Jacob who was just sort of out there uh, looking for God? No, Jacob was not really a great person, was he? He wasn't looking for God. God initiated the relationship with Jacob, ironically, while he's running for his life from his brother Esau. So Jacob didn't deserve this relationship, and nor do we. Romans 9 says something fascinating. It says, When God chose between Jacob and Esau, what was the basis for God's choice? 
Was it because Jacob was a great guy and Esau was a terrible guy? Well, we just talked about a moment ago, what did Jacob do? Jacob tricked his brother uh, to get his father's blessing. Um, Jacob, his very name means, means sneaky, and he lived up to that name for a lot of his life. He didn't deserve God's kindness, and nor do we. And so it's important to see from verse 9, we need to pray to God as our God, hopefully because we're connected with the Christian family, but far more importantly because we're connected to God ourselves. Secondly, from verse 10, we need to pray with humility. We need to recognize that we are unworthy of God's kindness. Look at verse 10. I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. These two words are used a lot of times in the Old Testament and often together. And it's difficult in some ways to distinguish between them because there's some overlap in what they mean and because they just occur so many times just paired as though they're, they're very similar concepts. But the first one, loving kindness, uh, has the idea of love at its core, but a steadfast love, a loyalty. It's often connected with God and the promises that he's made to his people. And uh, it's used, for example, this is the word that's used 26 times in Psalm 136, that your, your loving kindness endures forever. It's used 245 times in the Old Testament. Not always just of God, but often of God, and also of other people. Uh, think of David and Jonathan, the, the closeness of the relationship that they had. There's this same description of, of loving kindness. And specifically, when Jonathan has been killed by the Philistines, what was David's response going to be to Jonathan's family? Loving kindness. For the sake of these promises that I have made, I'm going to show love. And we see that as well in the way that this word is used to describe God. The second word, faithfulness or truth, uh, truth is really probably at the core of it, but it's also a trustworthiness. God does not lie. He will keep his promises, and to a large extent because of his steadfast love to his people. And just an interesting connection, Abraham's servant used this phrase to describe God in Genesis 24 and verse 27. He said in uh, that passage, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. And so it's interesting that uh, Jacob is using that same phrase to describe God's attitude, God's relationship, God's kindness toward him. But he doesn't just acknowledge who God is. He acknowledges what God has done. Look at the end of the passage. He says, for with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. I don't know what your experience is. Sometimes people start out or find themselves in different situations in life where they don't have anything. It's not everyone's experience, but for those who have experienced that, to basically be in a position where you have the clothes on your back, and in, in Jacob's case, because it was his own fault, he made his brother angry, had to flee before his brother would kill him, to find himself in that position... And God reached out, reached down to him and showed kindness to him. I think that that grabbed Jacob's attention. I think that that is something that helped to transform Jacob because of seeing God's kindness when he didn't deserve it, when he didn't really have anywhere else to turn. And in, at least in Jacob's case, and, and sometimes it's our experience as well, that God's kindness blesses us, gives us abundance far beyond what we deserve. 
For Jacob, it was that he ended up with two camps. So he goes from by himself, clothes on his back, staff in his hand, to being two companies, two gatherings of family and servants and flocks and all of these other things that God had blessed him with. And so he comes before God with this attitude of humility saying, God, I don't deserve the promises that you've made to me, and I don't deserve the blessings that are the outworking of those promises, so I'm coming before you humbly asking for your help. And so then that brings us to the third thing, that he prayed asking for deliverance. And I think it's important that we pray specifically for the need at hand because like many things in life, sometimes it's easy for us to be really vague about what we're talking about. Sometimes, at least in this case, the need concerned a person. Jacob was concerned that Esau was going to attack him. So he says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. So he comes before God and he says, God, this is what I need help with. And then, whether it's a person or a situation, I think it's important to be specific. Um, I've had this conversation with, with my kids. Uh, sometimes one of them will be doing something that, that bugs the other one. I know this never happens in any other families, but uh, sometimes one of them might be doing something that makes the other one a little bit unhappy. They'll say, stop it. And I'll say to them, that's not helpful because you're not saying what to stop and you're not, you're not really addressing the problem. That's just an exclamation of frustration. You're not, you're not really dealing with the problem. Obviously, when we talk to God, it's not as though God has done something bad to us and so we're sort of, you know, dealing with it with them. But at the same time, I think in the context of God answering our prayers, how do we know if God's answered our prayer if it's a really vague prayer? God help all the people in the world. I don't know when that's happened. So I think it's important to be specific. And, and Jacob is specific here. Deliver me from Esau. And then he gives a reason. He outlines the reason for his request, for I fear him. And the thing that drives us to talk to God in the context of a difficult situation, may vary. In Jacob's case, clearly it's fear. He's afraid of his brother. Why? Because he either thinks his brother is going to kill him or enslave his family or some combination of all those things. And so he comes before God and he says, God, I'm afraid. God, this is what I'm afraid of. I need your help. There's certainly other reasons that we could come before God in a time of difficulty. Maybe it's the exhaustion. Our strength has run out. Maybe it's uncertainty. I, I don't know what to do. That would be connected with what we looked at last week. But we cry out to God and we need His help. We need His deliverance. Also connected with this, I think it's important for us to remember that it is appropriate to pray to God reminding Him of His promises. And at first glance, we say, why would we do this? God knows what He said to us. We don't need to remind him of these things. But I think that, at least in this case, it can be a request to understand better. Look at verse 12. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. What's the connection between that and the previous verse? I think Jacob's saying this. If Esau wipes me out, God, what happens to your promise? Help me understand this. Intervene in this situation. And at times when we're not sure how God's going to fulfill some promise that he's made in our lives, I don't think it's wrong for us to talk to him about it. Where it becomes sinful is if, and, and Job was sort of trending this way toward the end of the book of Job, what happened? He started to say, I've done nothing wrong, God, this isn't fair. 
And, and up until that point, he hadn't sinned. But when he starts to say, God, I haven't done anything wrong, and, and, and I want to have a word with you about this, then he, he's starting to get an attitude of sinful pride, right? And that, that's something that we all struggle with. But in this case, I think Jacob's just saying, God, I don't see a way out of this situation. I don't see how you're going to work it out. I don't see how if Esau attacks me, which it looks really certain that he's going to do that, how am I going to have descendants like the sand on the seashore? And so he's asking God to help him understand better. I think it can also be a reminder to trust God again, because him stating the promise that God had made, he has a decision. Do I believe this thing that God has told me, even though I don't see a way out of the situation, or am I just going to give up on it? And there's a certain extent to which I don't think that Jacob has, has fully given up on his own scheming. You see this in chapter, um, in a little bit later in chapter 32, we won't read it, but verses 13 through 21, he basically, he sends a series of presents over to Esau. He's like, well, if he's angry at me, everybody likes to get something, a present, that'll make him happier with me, and so let me send him some flocks and herds and... What, what's this for? Oh, these are for you. A little while later, here comes another one. What's this for? These are for you too. And so he's, he, I think Jacob hasn't fully given up on his ability to scheme and connive his way out of a situation. That being said, I do think that in this situation, he is expressing trust in God. He's saying, I don't know my way out of this. I need your help. God, are you going to intervene and help me? Did God answer Jacob's prayer? I think we have to recognize that if God is a God of loving kindness and truth, then He's going to keep His promises to His people, and He's not going to abandon them. That doesn't mean that we won't have difficulty. That doesn't mean that we won't have trials. But it does mean that we can be confident that God has not left us alone. Did God answer Jacob's prayer? Uh, if you're still there in Genesis 32, you can turn over a page to Genesis 33 and verse 18 where there is an important phrase at the beginning of the verse. It says, now Jacob came safely. So did God answer Jacob's prayer? I think we can say yes. What was Jacob's response? Just as, a, as another uh, point of application, verse 20, he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, the God, the God of Israel. And so what, what's the significance of that? He's thanking God for answering his prayer. And that's, again, something that I think that we should remember as well. And so when a situation comes up that's overwhelming, in Jacob's case, it was a seemingly a certain physical attack. In our case, generally, it's not some specific person coming after us. Usually, it's more a, a, uh, a collection of the events of life that overwhelm us, and we're not sure how to respond. In those circumstances, do we recognize that God is our God, come with an attitude of humility, pray specifically for God's help in that circumstance, and along with that, just thinking about God's promises and renewing our trust in Him in the middle of those things and, and wait for God to answer. Does God always answer yes? No. Sometimes God lets us remain in a particular situation, and sometimes that's difficult because we, we don't always understand why. And in this life, and for that matter in heaven, we may not we will not fully know all the reasons why. And yet, going back to that concept that God is a God of loving kindness and truth, if we call out to Him as His people, 
He's going to hear our prayer. And even if he answers that prayer in a way different than we expect, he has continued to maintain his relationship with us. And so as we call out to God, let's turn to God when we face times of difficulty, when we need help. Because at the end of the day, there are so many other places that we can turn, and sooner or later, all of those other sources of help run out. People stop saying yes when you say, can you help me? Or uh, they just can't because they have their own problems, their own difficulties. God's the only one that never finds himself in that position. So in times of, when you need help, turn to God. And so as we go to our time of prayer, just consider some of the phrases that Jacob used to pray to God and consider whether there are any points of, of application to your life, things that you can pray about situations that you're aware of along the same lines that Jacob prayed. And let's uh, use these uh, passages in our prayer for fellow church members and uh, those that we are seeking to see God work in to give them salvation. Uh, 